0: you would open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. I want to have another prayer this morning. One of our summer staff, we we have hired 12 staff for the summer and uh, some of them were actually able to be here uh, this morning. There's one who was here yesterday that would really like to be in the service today but he's actually heading into surgery. Overnight is apparently his appendix ruptured and he's at Grand Strand and I've spoken to him and his mom and Uh, They're doing okay. He's just being prepped for surgery. His name is Joseph Stogner. So uh, I just want to have a special time of prayer because he's probably pretty close to heading into surgery. So remember the Stogner family. His name is Joseph. So let's pray for him right now. Father, we do pray for Joseph, Lord. And um, I know he'd a whole lot rather be here today than where he is. And yet, God, we thank you that you've watched over him and protected him and kept him from any further harm. He's uh, at, the, uh, at the hospital, Lord, to have his appendix taken care of. So we just pray you'd be with doctors and nurses. We thank you for them and the expertise that you've given them, Lord, to treat us. And God, we also thank you that you're a God who heals. And so we pray for healing for Joseph, but, Lord, in the meantime, just for comfort for his family. Uh, I know they didn't expect a, a, a early morning phone call uh, to, to describe the situation that his, their son was in. So we pray for the Stogner family and, and, God, just for his complete and full recovery. And Lord, again, we give you this service. Pray that you be honored in it. In Christ's name, amen. We've celebrated the Easter sunrise. We've celebrated the fact that Jesus has risen from the grave and uh, is is alive. And I want to look at this morning really kind of what what else happened. What what happened over the next 40 days uh, that Jesus walked the face of the earth after he rose from the dead? He appeared to His disciples, and then He pulled them all together. That's where we pick up in Acts chapter 1. And one of the things He's going to do is give them some instructions. Anybody here ever coached a little league baseball team? Or maybe a cheerleading squad, or you've coached some young people that you think they got it until it comes time to perform? Maybe it's just you parents. You know, you've given instructions to your kids. Here's how you're to operate a car. Here's what you're supposed to do the first day of school. Or here's what you do the first day on the job. And then you have to kind of sit back and watch them do it. Well, that's what Jesus is about to do. He is giving these last 40 days that he has appeared to his disciples and other people that we'll talk about in just a minute. He's going to give them some instructions, kind of a final word. But the main thing I want you to see this morning is it's all going according to plan. Nothing about the crucifixion or the resurrection caught God off guard. In fact, it was prophesied in the Old Testament. It's gone exactly according to plan. Let me read these first few verses from Acts chapter 1. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen, To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of forty days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you have heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, They were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. He's about to give His disciples some important instructions. What is it about men that we don't like following instructions? Every time I hear the word instruction, I have a flashback to putting a swing set together. And it's really cool to bring a swing set home because it's got pictures on the boxes and your kids are looking at it thinking, oh great, we're getting a swing set. And then they're looking at you to perform some miracle out of this box. And all the bags that are like, here's A bag, B bag. I think it went all the way from A, B, C, D, E, F. Bags full of stuff. And I'm thinking, i got to use all this stuff? And then there's this instruction book in about four different languages. And I just figure I'm smart enough to put a swing set together by myself. Not to mention the fact my neighbor from across the street came over to help me. He was a retired preacher. (laughs) If you've never had entertainment on a Saturday afternoon, you should have been there watching two preachers. Try to put swing set together without reading the directions. Now, we finally did go back and look at the instructions. And we got the thing put up and it lasted for a long time. And yes, we did have parts left over. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure that all these things are supposed to fit in here. But we finally read the instructions. Folks, the instructions that Jesus are about to give are so much more important than swing set instructions. And yet they don't just apply to his disciples nearly 2,000 years ago. But I want you to see how they even apply to us. Notice the first thing we see in the first verse. The author of this book, this letter, tells us who he's writing to. He uses the word. He "I." the first account I composed, Theophilus, about which Jesus all began to do and teach. So he's talking about the Gospel of Luke. So Acts could be referred to as 2nd Luke. It's a follow-up. And I think it was intended from the beginning. He is writing to a guy, I think is a genuine name. I don't think this is just an idea about a person. I think it's got a guy's real name, although his name means friend of God or someone who loves God, Theophilus. And so Luke gives a little more detail in the, in the Luke's gospel about who Theophilus was, a little more greeting, I guess. But this is just basically the second book in the series. This is the sequel to Luke. Luke talked about all that Jesus did in his earthly ministry for a little over three years. Now Luke's going to talk about from the time that Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven to the really beginning of the early church, to the first century church. And so he says he has presented himself alive. Here's what Luke's saying to Theophilus. saying, Theophilus, i got good news. The Jesus that I wrote about in the book of Luke, and you heard about it at the end of the book of Luke, he rose from the dead. But Theophilus, that wasn't the end. It really was the beginning of the church. And so now I want want you to understand, he has presented himself alive. You know, it would be one thing if all we had was a few men's testimony that Christ rose from the dead. Maybe just a few of his disciples, if it was just them saying, yeah, he rose from the dead, we know it, we saw it. But we don't just have that to go on. In fact, we have 13 separate occasions where Jesus appeared to people. Whether it was the woman, whether it was the men on the road to Emmaus, whether it was to the disciples in the room, or Thomas behind a closed door where, you know, Thomas said, I'm not going to believe till I see it myself. Or whether it was to one occasion over 500 people, Jesus did rise from the dead and did appear on 13 separate occasions to people, to prove that He had indeed risen from the dead. In fact, He ate. You know, on one occasion, He said, come come, touch my wounds if you don't believe me. Then He said, have you got something to eat? Well, one of the things that proved by Jesus' eating was that He wasn't just a spirit. He really was still a, a man that could eat and take in nourishment and apparently needed to. So He appeared after His suffering by many convincing proofs. We can be certain of it, Because Jesus Christ has shown us proof after proof after proof that he rose from the dead. And Theophilus, here's what he was doing. For these 40 days, not only did he appear, but he spoke a lot about the kingdom. We don't have a lot of the teaching here. We get a little bit in the first chapter of Acts. But I think what Jesus is teaching his disciples over these 40 days is, hey, you're going to establish the first church. You're going to be my witnesses and missionaries. Guys, here's what I expect you to do with the message that you've heard and seen in me over the last three years. It's now yours. Go tell people about it. So he gives them some specific instructions. First thing he tells them to do is something that shouldn't be that difficult, but it is don't leave Jerusalem. Wait. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're like me, patience is a struggle. And you're thinking, how long are we going to have to wait? Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem. Keep in mind that 11 of the disciples were from the Galilee region. Judas was not, but Judas isn't with them anymore. So the natural thing would, would be, kind of, I'm ready to go home. I kind of like to get back to my people and tell them the story. And he says, no, you're going to get to do that eventually. The first thing I want you to do is wait. In other words, you know, your mama used to tell you, don't just sit there do something. Jesus is saying, don't just do something, sit there until you're ready. You're not ready to be my witnesses yet. Why? Because the Holy Spirit hasn't come upon you. All you've got right now is up here. But you're eventually going to receive power. And that's what you're to wait for. You're not to do anything else. In fact, we know that that's exactly what the disciples did. The disciples ended up waiting in Jerusalem. And you continue reading into the book of Acts, and we'll talk about it a little bit. You see that finally the Holy Spirit falls upon them, and they do become His witnesses. So don't leave Jerusalem, but wait. What are they waiting for? They're waiting for the promise. Jesus says, you have been given a promise, literally a pledge, a divine assurance from God the Father. You've been given this promise. Jesus said, I've talked to you about it, but it's about to be fulfilled. And then he said this, he said, John baptized you with water. And that's all they'd ever seen is really a baptism of repentance that was about water. He said, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, I don't know if there's any Baptist in the room, but you're going to get excited about this. What's he saying? He's saying the word baptism means to be submerged. It means to be overwhelmed with water. Well, you're going to be overwhelmed and submerged in the Holy Spirit, not just a little sprinkling. You're going to get the whole thing. Not many days from now. How many days would it end up being? Ten days. Ten days. On the day of Pentecost, ten days after he speaks this message, the Holy Spirit does fall upon his followers. And we see people like Peter go out and preach a sermon. Peter, who typically couldn't open his mouth without sticking his foot in it, goes out and preaches this incredible sermon. Why? Because he had been to seminary and learned how to preach? No. Because he had taken good notes? No. Why? Because the Holy Spirit had fallen on him. And so he says, wait. Don't go anywhere. Wait in Jerusalem until you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they started asking him questions. they have been hearing him talk about the kingdom. And so they asked him, teacher, is now the time? Are you about to restore the kingdom to Israel? In fact, if you go read the account in Luke of the men on the road to Emmaus, when Jesus accompanies them on their walk to the town of Emmaus. Remember what they were talking about? They were talking about this Jesus. They hadn't seen him yet, or they actually were talking to him, didn't realize they were seeing him. All they had heard is he is risen from the dead. And the conversation was, you know, we thought he was going to be the one to come and restore the kingdom to Israel. Israel, the nation, the people of God, has been taken over by The Roman authorities and the Roman government, that's whose rule they were under. And they longed for the day when somebody would ride in on a white horse and overthrow the Roman government and reestablish, reconstitute, renew the nation of Israel. And that's what they thought Jesus was about to do. Now, that is what Jesus will do. That's the promise from the Father. It just wasn't about to happen in the next few days. So he asked the question, is now when you're going to renew, reinstate the kingdom of Israel? And what does Jesus say? It's not for you to know. It's not for you to know times or epics and the two words he uses there, you kinda of wonder why has he got to use two words, but one word means generally. It's not for you to know the chronology, the time, or even the specific event. Now, Jesus had already taught him in Matthew's gospel and other places the, the signs that were going to be indications of the end the, that we're getting near the end. What he tells them is here, hey guys, rather than you spending all your time thinking about when this end is going to come, I do have a mission for you. And you're going to get sidetracked from the mission that I'm about to give you if all you do is sit around and think about the times and the signs and the end. Can I just be honest with you? It's fun to talk about that. It's fun to study the book of Revelation and Daniel and Ezekiel and look at the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back. And folks, we ought to know about those kind of things. We ought to spend time there. We ought to study it. But it can become a sidetrack to believers over the main mission, which is what Jesus gives us here in the next few verses and what he's given us. So what does he say? It's not up for you to know the times that God is fixed by his authority. Verse 8, but. Okay, let me turn the page over. Don't worry about these things. These are under God's control. They've been fixed by his authority. I am coming back. I am restoring the nation of Israel. I'm going to fulfill the promises of the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's going to happen. But rather than you spending your time on stuff that's up to God, how about doing the mission that I've given you to do? But, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What does the word power mean? Sometimes you need to be careful when you hear a Greek word and think, well, it must mean this. The Greek word here is the word dunamis. Sounds a lot like the word dynamite, doesn't it? And that's really what it is. It means miraculous, explosive power. So what's Jesus saying? Hey, rather than worrying about when I'm coming back, i got a mission for you. And you're not going to be left alone. You're going to think you are because you're going to see me leave in a few minutes. But you're not going to be left alone. In fact, I'm going to send the promise of the Holy Spirit that I've been talking to you about. We've talked about the Holy Spirit before. He says you're going to receive power. Folks, I want to translate that now to 2,000 years into the future. The Holy Spirit is still present. The Holy Spirit's not an it, by the way. He's a part of the Trinity. He's a part of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive power. How many believers do you know that are really living under the power of the Holy Spirit? And how many are just kind of being religious? You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you. And here's what's going to happen. Once the Holy Spirit's come, once you've received the power, then you're on mission. You're going to be my witnesses. What does a witness do? If you're ever watching an accident and you're called into a courtroom and you're put on the witness stand, what are you supposed to do? You're just supposed to tell what you saw. Your Honor, here's what I saw. And that's all I can tell you. So that's all Jesus is asking them to do. You've met me, you know me, you've followed me for three years, you've heard me teach, you've seen me perform miracles. you've been with me for three years now you're going to be the witnesses because you're going to receive power. and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Well that's where they are right now. Jerusalem's the capital city. You're going to be my witnesses in all Judea, which is kind of the southern half of Israel. You're going to be my witnesses in Samaria, which is just north of there. It's the area that typically Jews didn't have any association with. In fact, when Jesus sent the the people out to do ministry back in Matthew's Gospel, He told them not even to go into Samaria. Don't even go into Galilee. Here's where you're going to minister right around here. Don't go to the Gentiles. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and finally the remotest parts of the earth. The farthest, the final parts of the Earth. and that's where what happened to the gospel. This was in the first century, or actually it was in yeah, first century is about 30 AD, 33 AD, somewhere in that framework. Not long after this, as the message is beginning to spread, Rome helped the message spread. Rome started attacking Jerusalem and they scattered Christians all over the known world of that time. And Christians took the message of the gospel to literally the ends of the earth. And it has continued to spread to places like Garden City Beach and Columbia, South Carolina and Greenville and Charleston and wherever you're from. That's how I heard about Jesus in Macon, Georgia when I was 12 years old and trusted Him as my Lord and Savior. It's because... The promise that Jesus gave, the Holy Spirit will come, and you're going to be my witnesses. In fact, it's the same promise today. One of the the conversations I've had with church members sometimes that burdens me is a Sunday school teacher walks in or another worker in your ministry comes in and says, I'm I'm just burned out. You need to get somebody else. I've done my time. That was what I always loved. Can you get somebody else for the nursery? I've done my time. I didn't realize it was a prison sentence. But you know what they're really saying? I've been there. You're burned out. Why? Because you got unplugged from the source. We're not supposed to do any of it on our own power. And yet, with good intentions, that's what we do sometimes. And folks, for some of you, you need to hear the same word Jesus told the disciples. Wait until you receive power. What are we supposed to do for God? We're supposed to tell other people about Him. Absolutely. But if you're doing it in your own strength, the best thing you can do is stop and wait until you've received the power, until the Holy Spirit's there to give you the energy, the power, the force, the dynamite to carry out the Great Commission. Then let's look at the Ascension, verses 9 through 11, following along in the passage. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, Behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who's been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. So what happens? Jesus has taught them. He's now standing on the mount overlooking the, the valley that looks right back over to the old city of Jerusalem. And while he's speaking, he's lifted up. The, the root word literally means to sail away. And you wonder sometimes, why did God do it that way? Well, if Jesus had just disappeared, his disciples would have gone looking for him. But instead, he did it while all of his disciples were right there watching. And it said he lifted up and was literally engulfed in a cloud. And he was no more. And the disciples were just sitting there, I think, with their mouths wide open and their eyes just as big as they could get going, wow. Wow. And what's next? The cloud, we see this in the Old Testament, was representative of the glory of God. And while the disciples are sitting there looking intently, in fact, the word means to gaze at something with your eyes wide open. What do you think they were doing? I don't know. Maybe they were waiting on an encore. You ever been in a concert where the music stops and the band leaves the stage? You're kind of thinking, come back, we want to hear more. Maybe they were waiting on the encore. Maybe they didn't understand when he said, Get back to Jerusalem and wait, and he meant right now. And so they're sitting there wondering, okay, we've never experienced this before. He's lifted up into the clouds. Should we wait here? Are we waiting for him to come back? And finally two men, two angels, are standing there saying, Man, why are you why are you looking up like that? What, what are you doing, still staring up into the sky? And then they give Him some comforting words. This same Jesus, the one that you've just watched go up into heaven, He's coming back the same way. He's going to come back in a cloud. The glory of God is going to happen. It's just not going to happen today. In fact, we know now nearly 2,000 years have passed. And i got a question. Why did Jesus leave? And why is it taking so long for Him to come back? A couple of thoughts as I studied this week. Why did He leave? One, His work on earth was finished. Jesus came to accomplish the purpose of God, which was forecast, predicted in the Old Testament. He had done that. When He stretched out His arms on the cross and said, it is finished. It didn't just mean that His life was over. It meant He had paid the penalty for the sin of the world. It's finished. The Old Testament sacrificial system of killing bulls and goats and and rams was over. Why? Because the spotless Lamb of God paid the price for our sin on the cross. It's finished. He rose again three days later and for the next 40 days gave final instructions to His disciples. And so this Jesus, who you've seen leave, is coming back. But He's gone because His work on earth is finished. Secondly, He's going to prepare a place. Remember that? He was trying to comfort His disciples over in John's Gospel when He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Of course, one of the disciples said, well, we don't know where you're going. I mean, what's up with that? And he said, said, we don't know the way. Jesus said, well, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Before that, he told him, hey, in my Father's house, there's many mansions. I go away and prepare a place for you. If it wasn't so, if that wasn't the truth, then I'd tell you. And now he's telling them, I'm going to come again. And the angels are reminding them he's going to come again. Third reason he went away is he had promised to send the Holy Spirit. Jesus could be one place at one time on earth. He's now sending the Holy Spirit who can be all over the place on earth and carry out the ministry. The ministry's not finished, but Jesus's role was. And then last, Jesus has promised us and we read this over in First John, he's now interceding for us. He's our advocate with the Father. That's what he's doing now, preparing a place and he's constantly on our behalf taking our knees before the Father, representing us before the Father. And then last thing I want you to see this morning is just bringing it all together, the intention of God. Let me tell you what happens right after this. We're not going to read all these verses. So the men are standing up into heaven. The cloud's there. Jesus is gone. And they finally realize He's not coming back. And they remember what He told them to do. Go to Jerusalem. In fact, if you read further into the passage, it says that they went about a Sabbath day's journey to Jerusalem. Anybody in here know how far a Sabbath day's journey is? If you, like today, are looking for a restaurant, (laughs) you pull up and ask a police officer, can you give me directions to wherever it is you're going? Well, let's just go up here by the Sabbath day's journey and take a left. You know? Well, Sabbath day's journey kind of changed over time, but in Jesus' time, it was about 2,000 feet. was a Sabbath day's journey. Now, the rabbis kind of changed it after a while and said, no... After you've gone 2,000 feet, as long as there's enough food for a meal, then you can claim that your home away from home and go another 2,000 feet. So after a while, it became, it was 4,000 feet. And then they started rationalizing, well, if you can go 4,000 feet, surely you can make the return voyage. And so it became 8,000 feet. But anyway, somewhere between two to 8,000 feet. But I can tell you this, we know that he went, they went from the Mount of Olives back across the Kidron Valley over to Jerusalem, about a half a mile. About how far it is. If you've ever been there, you you can kind of see where Jesus ascended and about where they were. So that's all they had to do was go from that spot over, and they waited. They waited for ten days, and the Holy Spirit fell in power. In fact, the Bible describes it like tongues of fire that fell upon them. And Peter gets up and preaches. And I just want to share just three verses of his message because it capsulizes the Easter story. Let me read verses 22 and following. Peter addresses the crowd. This is the middle of the sermon. Now, if you're going to read the whole thing, you've got to back up a little bit. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God, Raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. As I read this week the sermon of Peter, and just following up in in Acts, in the first and second chapter of Acts, those three verses so neatly capsulized the Easter message. That's how I want to close this morning. Peter has already stood up and addressed the men of Jerusalem and the men of Judea. And then he specifically says, Now, you from Israel... Listen up. He's speaking to some of the very people who were a part of putting Jesus to death. And he says, this Jesus, some of you know him as the one from Nazareth. So they called him Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus the Nazarene. This Jesus, a man attested by God. What does that mean? It means that the whole time he lived on earth, God kept giving signs. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The whole time he was on earth, he did miracles. He healed people. And you people didn't get it. In fact, some of you thought he was of the devil. You thought, well, yeah, he's got power, but it can't be from God because he doesn't fit into our package. So it must be something else. So it's the only other option is it's got to be the devil. It's amazing how some people won't let the facts get in the way of a good story. And so Peter stands up and says, this Jesus, yeah, I'm talking about Jesus, the one from Nazareth. The one that God gave incredible proof that He was the Son of God. This same Jesus, attested by miracles, wonders, and signs. And when you read that, you think, did they need all three words? And yet, the words mean something different. The word wonder is that word dunamis that I've already talked about. It it means that they had seen attesting miracles of power, of Jesus' power. Healing people of things like leprosy. Healing a man that was put down through the ceiling that couldn't walk. Walking on the water. I mean, those are all miraculous things that Jesus did while He was on earth. Wonders. These are just remarkable events that attended and attested of who Jesus was. Signs. These are proofs or sights and indication that He was from God. So what's Peter saying? Peter's saying, listen up. I'm talking about Jesus. The one that everybody... I mean, you should have known He was from God because look at all the evidence. And yet... You took him. In fact, he said, you yourselves know. He said, I'm talking to people who saw what I'm talking about. You saw the miracles, and you dismissed them as something else. You saw the wonders. You saw the signs. You heard the testimony. And some of you experienced it yourself. And yet you rejected him. In fact, you delivered him over. But understand something. It was God's predetermined plan as part of the foreknowledge of God. Can I say something to you? There's some religions today in the world that think that when Jesus died on the cross, an accident happened. The Reverend Moon, who started the the Moonies, thought that Jesus really was on a mission, but got sidetracked at the cross, and so Moon himself thought he was going to pick up where Jesus left off. That that was an oops moment for God. God didn't mean for that to happen. And so... Thank you, Mr. Moon, or Reverend Moon, or whatever your name is. You're going to take over. And I'm not here to pick on other religions, but I'm simply saying this. Read the Old Testament. Not only was the birth of Christ predicted and forecast and prophesied in the Old Testament, so was His death and His resurrection. Why did Jesus have to die? When Jesus was in the garden and He prayed, Father, if there's any other way. Why did Jesus die? Because there was no other way. That's why Jesus died. Because to satisfy a holy God, we had to be made holy. And the only way we could be made holy is for our sins to be paid for. And if that was left up to me and you, it meant death. But it was, meant, it was left up to Jesus who could die and raise from the dead and give us the option or the opportunity for eternal life, relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It was God's predetermined plan. Literally, it's the word horizon, horizo, which simply meant it was, it was a mark out there on the horizon that God had been aiming at since creation. And it was finally accomplished. God knew that it was coming. And by doing that, God put an end to the agony of death. Folks, we've all experienced death. We've experienced death even this year in the family of the chapel. And yet the good news as a believer is we can know beyond any shadow of a doubt that we don't have to grieve like the rest of the world grieves. Why? Because we have hope. This same Jesus who rose from the dead, this same Jesus who's coming again one day, this same Jesus, if He lives within you, has given you eternal life because it was impossible for death to keep Him in the grave. It was powerless to keep Him captive. And because He's risen from the dead, we have hope of eternal life. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, God, thank You for the truth of Your Word, but Lord, also the power of Your Word. Thank You for the message that we read in the book of Acts and just grasping the understanding that Jesus left instructions. And it wasn't just for 11 guys on a hilltop. It was a message that's been recorded for us that we're now to be His witnesses. So Father, the offer of hope is for some in this place this morning, if they do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, then is to acknowledge their need of a Savior and come to faith in Jesus Christ. God, for many across this room who are believers, Lord, for myself, God, You've left us with a mission and that is we're to be Your witnesses. We're to tell other people what we know about Jesus what we've seen Him do in our life, like the testimonies from the video at the beginning of the service. That's our mission. And God, thank You that You haven't left us alone to do that, but You have given us the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So God, use us now. On mission for You to tell the story, the good news of Jesus Christ and His resurrection. God, we celebrate today Thank you in Jesus' name.